0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Covenant Church. If you're happy to be able to come and sit inside in the air conditioning for just a minute, can I get an amen? All right. Thank you for being here. If it's your first time here, I hope you receive one of our welcome gifts from our greeting team. If not, there's some gift bags outside on the table. Just grab one on your way out. Take it to the car. Nobody's going to question you. Thank you for being here. This morning, we're going to have some opportunities to enter into praise and worship. We've got our team ready. They've practiced. They're warmed up. They've already been through first service. It's going to be a good time. We can also praise and worship through tithes and offerings outside in the lobby. There's some boxes located on both walls out there. Feel free to worship your tithes and offerings there. And we have elements of the Lord's Supper set up on both sides of the auditorium at the bottom of the rock pillars at any time during the service. Please grab a family, friend, member, or anybody else that you want to celebrate communion with and avail yourselves there. This morning, I'd like to remind you of a few things. Next week is going to be Family Worship Sunday because it's the fifth Sunday of the month. That means all the kiddos will be in here with us. They get to see how adults do things. We get to spend time with them. If you have a child birth through 18 months, we will still have nursery over in the West Hall. Other than that, our children will be with us. As a reminder, there is a children's or a mother's room, I should say, back behind the sound booth. So if you need to spend a little quality time with a child, there's a changing table, rocking chairs, it's quiet, and there's also a TV that broadcasts what we're doing here. So you're not even going to miss out on what we're doing out here. So spend a little time there with your kids. Stand up with me this morning as we get ready into, into praise and worship. Father God, this morning we've come here expecting you to show up. And Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to us as as a body and as individuals. Lord, share your will with us and what you would have us do for you and your kingdom. Uh, Minister to the ones here today that need your healing spirit. Thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Into the night, wanting a place to hide this weary soul. This bag of balls, I try, try with all my might. I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting. The bag of balls. just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know, and he told me that I was not alone. I think the Savior, I thank God. I cannot deny what I've seen. Got no choice but to believe I'll keep on burning. Like I still am. So, so long to all my old friends. Burden and bitterness You just keep it for it No, you ain't welcome here From now till I walk The streets of gold I sing of how you Save my soul This wayward son is found Heal my heart, change my name, forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Saviour, I thank God. Woo! oh, 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 I am free. I am free, I am free, come out, hell lost awesome, another one, I am free, I am free, I am free, hell lost awesome, another one, I am, I am free, I am free, I am free, oh hell lost awesome, another one. Master, I thank the Savior, because you hear my heart, change my name, forever free, I'm not the same, I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, because you pick me up, turn me around, place my feet on solid the ground, I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, because you hear my heart. Have they could say on the mountain I'll praise when I'm sure I'll praise when I'm doubting Oh, I'll praise when I'm numbered Bye. help oh, my soul I'll pray cause you're sovereign Praise cause you reign Praise cause you rose and defeated the grave i praise cause you're faithful Praise cause you're true Praise cause there's nobody greater than you Oh, praise cause you're sovereign Praise cause you reign Praise cause you rose and defeated you're faithful. Praise God you're true. Praise God. Face down on the floor All to Echo Holy is of God I'm born of His Spirit I'm washed in His blood And this is my story This is is my soul I'm praising my Savior All the day long This is my story, this is my soul, praising my Savior all the day long, this This is my story. Savior,
2: all the day long Father I'm so thankful that that's my story and the story of so many of us here this morning Father we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Lord, for his life and resurrection, or that he is seated at your right hand at this moment in victory. Or that's our story. That is the story of this world that you have provided a way of redemption and salvation. And we give you all glory, all honor, and all praise this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
3: morning we sang hell has lost another one well i'm happy to say hell has lost another two (laughs) when i was 12 years old i dedicated my life to jesus christ and since that day i have lived with that blessed assurance that fear has no hold on my life and that i can walk in truth and faith in him It is my great joy and honor and privilege today to usher two of my daughters into that same life. They are 13 and 11 today. Ellie? (laughs) Thank you all for being here with us to share in this momentous occasion for our family. We love you all. Eleona Catherine Fell, as Jesus Christ, Lord of your life, Yes. That in obedience to the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in baptism, raised to walk a new life. To the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Him in baptism, raised to walk a new life.
2: Amen. Amen. Isn't that fantastic? Well, we are so glad that you are with us this morning. Welcome. If you are a guest, before I get into the message this morning, I just wanted uh, to remind you of something that I mentioned last Sunday, and that is uh, that we're bringing a guest speaker into the community. Uh, his name is Dr. Uh, I just. I'm blank. <laughs> Westers. Yeah, there we go. I was thinking of the family. I was about to say the last name of the family that just got baptized. I was like, that's not right. Dr. Westers. Uh, and he is a psychologist. Uh, his. Uh, Expertise is Non-Suicidal Self-Harm in Adolescence. And he is going to be doing three sessions for our teachers in the LISD training. Uh, He's also going to speak next Monday to a youth-wide community event. That will be Monday night from 6 to 8 p.m. in our NCC West building. If you know of any youth, please invite them. Spread the word. It'll be in the newspaper and other places this week, but just help us get that word out. But Dr. Wester's heart is uh, that everybody would have the opportunity to um, learn and hear and be able to provide support and help to young people who are facing those issues. And so he had asked me before, and we talked again last week, if there was any way he could also. Uh, make it available to parents and I was able to speak with our minister of Alliance and and go through that and uh, he's going to speak here next Sunday for at 6 p.m And it's open to parents and families and youth. Uh, So if you would like to hear that or also, again, spread the word to anybody that you know. But next Sunday evening, 6 p.m., Dr. Westers will be addressing uh, us right here. Um, And he'll he'll speak on the same topic and then also open it up for a time of Q&A. So we would love for you to be there and also help us spread the word. Uh, I know uh, we're planning on attending that. This morning, we're going to conclude uh, the Mind of Christ series. While I believe everything that we've covered so far in this series has been biblical truth, there's another aspect or perspective that we need to consider and be aware of. Before we take a look from this different perspective, I want us to review some of the things that we've covered in the last four weeks uh, in depth. And one of the things that we've seen and pointed out in every message is that we saw in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, that Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. And 1 Corinthians 2.16 shows us that we, the body of Christ, have the mind of Christ. Well, that brings up a question. Who knows the mind of Christ? 1 Corinthians 2.10-11 through tells us that the Holy Spirit does. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Then we must ask, how can we know the thoughts of God in the mind of Christ? Well, in John 14, Jesus said he would not leave us alone. He would not leave us as orphans, but he would send to us the helper, the Holy Spirit. And in John 16, 13, Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit to communicate His thoughts and the truth and the revelation of Himself to the body of Christ, His church. We've also looked at how we are in a spiritual battle and not a battle of the flesh. And that we need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians ten three through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Philippians 4.6-9 gives us the clear strategy to fight in this spiritual battle. It says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think. About these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So we take everything to God in prayer. We take our thoughts captive to the feet of Jesus, and we replace those thoughts with God's truth. We also touched on last Sunday on another truth, and it's the truth that God has already completed all the work. The battle has been won. He is victorious. And He has been victorious since before the foundation of the world. As I said a few minutes ago, we're going to be looking at the mind of Christ from a different perspective this morning. But before we do, I want to take a look at the scriptural background of God's work and victory being completed. Hebrews 4.3 spells it out. His works were finished from the foundation of the world. We're going to stop right there with this one passage. It makes it very clear. His works were finished from the foundation of the world. But there's many other passages, many more examples that uh, give this example and, and make this point. But we're just going to look at a few. In Matthew 25, 31 through 34, Jesus says it plainly. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Last week, I mentioned how God doesn't hope. God knows. Jesus knew what was to come. This is a prophecy of what is still to come. But it is also as complete and done as anything ever has been. Because God planned it. God said it. And God's going to do it. Because it was accomplished before the foundation of the world. Jesus wasn't hoping when he said this. He was stating a fact. In Acts 2, 22-24, the apostle Peter proclaimed, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited and pointed out and attested to you by God with the power to perform miracles and wonders and signs which God worked through him in your very midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, when handed over to the Roman authorities according to the predetermined decision and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross and put to death by the hands of lawless and godless men." But God raised him up, releasing him and bringing an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in death's power. Everything was in accordance with the predetermined decision and foreknowledge of God. Jesus Christ wasn't God's plan B. His birth, His life, His death and His resurrection were always God's plan A. And He knew it from before the foundation of the world. He knew we would need to be redeemed. He knew we would need a Savior. And He knew He was the only one that could accomplish it. We are still living and walking in God's plan A today. Revelation thirteen eight says, "Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, the Lamb Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world." And in Revelation twenty seven through ten, God proclaims our enemy's final fate. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. And will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of saints, the beloved city, which is talking about Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's as done as if it's already happened. The victory's already been won. The price has already been paid and God has said it and He's going to do it. Satan literally gathers all his forces more numbering more than the sand of the sea and in the end there's not even a battle. It's not like they fight and God loses half his forces trying to defeat Satan. Fire comes from heaven and wipes them out in an instant because it's time. Because it's time, what God determined before the foundation of the world. It's time, so He does it. Amen. Taken out of context, the truths that we've looked at the past four weeks, the things that we just looked at this morning, they can easily be misinterpreted and misapplied. There's an old story, an old parable, it's not out of the Bible, but I've I, felt like it fit what we're looking at this morning. It's about three blind men who encounter an elephant, and each one of them approach this elephant from a different perspective. The first man uh, is grabbing the trunk, and he's feeling it, and he's like, oh my goodness, this thing is like a huge snake, but up in the air. The second blind man who approached the elephant from one of its legs says, I don't know what you're talking about. This thing is massive. It's solid. It's like a pillar, like the trunk of a tree, immovable. And the third blind man approaches the elephant from the side and is holding one of its ears. And he's like, you're both crazy. It's thin and large and long and flaps like a big fan to cool us off. they were all speaking a truth about the elephant from their limited perspective. But one thing I want us to consider is even if they realized they were all talking about the same magnificent beast that God had created, they still wouldn't have begun to glimpse the majesty and the glory that God has given to the elephant. They still would have only had a small piece Can we all agree that God is much larger and much more complex than an elephant? And can we all agree that even with our working eyes, we're all more blind than a blind man? Isaiah 55 8 says, where God proclaimed to the prophet Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. There's limitless perspectives of God. We merely catch a glimpse of them. I think it was the second message we talked about, God's strength and God's love and God's majesty and different aspects of God. And we can look through the scriptures and pour over the scriptures of his different uh, characteristics. And at best, we see a glimpse of them. We don't know the love of God. It's more than we can comprehend It's like we catch something out of the peripheral of our eye and when we look, it's gone, but we know we saw something. We saw a piece and it's good. He's so good, but it's beyond what we can comprehend. When we receive a revelation from the Holy Spirit, we can count on the fact that it's true. As I mentioned earlier, everything that we've covered in the last four messages are truth from the the Word of God. But there are glimpses of those perspectives. And this morning we're going to look at another perspective that's just as true. It would be easy to take what we've looked at in this series and what the scriptures and the passages that we read this morning. And say that if we were to apply them properly. If we believed them with enough faith. That we should never be sad. That we should never experience pain. That we should never shed a tear. That we should never mourn. But that's not true. Because we haven't seen the whole picture. We're not comprehending the whole elephant. That may be our big takeaway from this morning, that we need to remind ourselves and others around us that in every situation, in every circumstance that we find ourselves, we're never capable of seeing the whole elephant at once. We don't know God's plan. There's seven billion people, probably closer to eight billion people on the earth today. God knows every single one. He cares about every single one. He's trying to speak to every single one. He's paid the price for every single one. We can't comprehend that. We can't even begin to. But He knows. And He's at work. So let's take one last look at the mind of Christ from another perspective. We're going to call this perspective Victory in defeat. Because Jesus was fully God and fully man when He was on this earth. And Isaiah 55.3 tells us, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. You may or may not know, but Isaiah is a prophetic book God spoke countless prophecies through countless prophets regarding Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. And this is one of those. Every single one of them was fulfilled. That's just one more example that God's work and plan for salvation for all of mankind was always in place. And God said in advance through His prophets that Jesus would be despised. He would be rejected. He would be a man of sorrow. And he would be acquainted with grief. In John 15, 18-20, Jesus says Himself, If the world hates you, know that it hated Me first. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus suffered through hate and persecution. He knew who he was. He knew his purpose. He knew where he was going, but he still had to walk it out in the flesh. That was hard for him. And it's hard for us. Just because we know something is coming doesn't mean it will be easier to walk through. We're going to look quickly at four accounts that Jesus walked through in the last week or two of his life on earth prior to his crucifixion. We know he had the mind of Christ because he was Christ. So let's see what it looked like from his perspective. Jesus Christ in the flesh walking in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. In John 11, through 37 we find Jesus' interaction with Mary, Lazarus' brother, right before he would raise Lazarus from the dead. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus Wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Jesus knew it was the will of the Father that Lazarus was going to be resurrected. But he was still moved. In that moment, whatever the reason, whether it was mourning with those who were mourning. Whether it was the lack of faith that Mary and her sister Martha and the other people around had. Or maybe it was the turmoil that Jesus was feeling himself, knowing that his own crucifixion and death were just around the corner. No one else could even imagine what was ahead, but Jesus knew. Whatever the reason, Jesus wept. Shortly following the resurrection of Lazarus, within days, we find Jesus weeping again. This account is found in Luke 19, 41 through 44 and says, When he drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear down to the ground you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus wept over the people of Jerusalem because they wouldn't receive the truth. And He was the truth. And they wouldn't receive Him. And in Matthew 23, 37-39, after the triumphal entry and before the Last Supper, Jesus cries out, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus grieved over the lost. He wept over Jerusalem. His heart hurt for them. And he cried out for them because they wouldn't see him or receive him. And last, in Luke twenty two thirty nine through 44, immediately following the Last Supper, it says, He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It was Jesus' custom to go and pray. It says He did at the very beginning. He came out and did what He always did, to go out and pray, to seek the Father. If Jesus Christ needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? We saw in Philippians 4 that prayer is our main weapon in the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in every single day. And Jesus knew that. And so He practiced it. There's also no question that Jesus knew the truth of who He was. The truth of his situation. The truth that he had to suffer and die. The truth that he would be resurrected. But the knowledge of his resurrection didn't take away the stress he was feeling in that moment in his flesh. In his humanity. The truth wasn't going to make the pain of the whips hurt any less. The truth wasn't going to make the cross hurt any less. He was going to have to suffer in his flesh. He had to actually walk through it. He had to suffer. He had to die. And he cried out to God the Father. He took all of his thoughts, all of his concerns to the feet of the Father. He followed everything exactly like we're supposed to follow it. And he was in anguish and turmoil. I believe Hebrews 5, 7 through 9 is describing these moments, these last moments in Jesus Christ's life before the crucifixion. Hebrews 5, 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Jesus took everything to the Father, just like we're supposed to. The Word says He was even strengthened by an angel And right after He was strengthened is when He sweats drops of blood. God literally didn't promise us we wouldn't suffer. He promised the other. Jesus said, if I suffer, you're going to suffer. If I'm hated, you're going to be hated. It's the path we're called to. We need a different perspective. Jesus was about to claim the greatest victory the world has ever known. But it was going to look like defeat, and he was going to have to suffer for it. We cry. We hurt. We mourn. The truths we've studied over the past four weeks don't change that. And Jesus Christ knew them better than we can ever hope to. He is that truth. And being that truth, living that truth in His flesh, in His humanity, He suffered and He wept and He mourned and He prayed to the Father and He cried out in tears. That's the truth. That's the mind of Christ from a different perspective. We cry out. We cry out for the lives of our children, for the souls of our children, and we see them get answered like we did this morning. But it doesn't make it easier to walk through when nothing in the lives of our children looks like they're following Christ. We cry out for the lost. I cry out for the children of our city. So did Jesus. He cried out and wept for the lost that didn't see, that didn't know. I think he also cried out knowing what he was going to physically have to walk through. What he was going to physically suffer through in his flesh. And he needed strength. And he knew that God would strengthen him. But it didn't stop him from crying and mourning. We need to know the truth that we've looked at the past four weeks. And we need to know the truth that we're looking at this morning. We are all walking out our faith in God. We're living our faith in our flesh. And He hears us when we cry out. He hears us when we take everything to Him, even if it includes tears and loud weeping. Jesus perfectly lived out these truths, but it still hurt. He still experiences suffering but He held on to the Father. And He says, we can hold on to Him too. We can hold on to the truth. We're still going to suffer in the flesh, but He will be with us. He has not left you alone. He has not forsaken you. He is with you in the middle of it. We don't have a high priest who doesn't know what it's like to suffer. He knows and He went through it and He came out victorious. We're going to close with two passages that remind us of that victory that Jesus Christ has already won, that's been won from before the foundation of the world. First Peter 1 Peter 1.13 and 19 and 20 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb, that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. All the work has been done. The victory was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now being made manifest. Meaning it's now been done on earth as it is in heaven. The plan that God always had for Jesus to suffer and die and be resurrected for our sins on the cross that was planned from before the foundation of the world has been made manifest on this earth for you. It's been done. And it was as done then as it was at the moment He planned it. And the end as that we wait to see, the glory that we wait to see is as done now as it was at the foundation of the world. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven through 58 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love that word victory. The word that's translated there as victory is only ever translated in the New Testament as victory. And it's one of the simplest definitions that I've ever come across when I've done a word study. The first way that it describes itself is victory victory. It just says that it gets victory. It's victory. The second definition is this: to utterly vanquish. To utterly vanquish. That word means to defeat, to conquer, to subdue, to overcome. Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory, utterly vanquishing the enemy through our Lord Jesus. Christ. It's done. It's completely done. It's another perspective. It's true. And another yet is that we still live and walk and move and have our being in this flesh. Jesus suffered, and we're going to suffer. Jesus prayed, and we need to pray. He cried and he wept and we are going to cry and weep. I know we have and I know we will again. It's the life that we live today. But the father was there with Jesus to comfort him and give him strength. And he is going to be there with us today and every day that we have ahead. He's promised us and he never breaks a promise. What's your perspective this morning? Are you looking at the circumstances or are you looking at the truth, the truth, Jesus Christ? If you're on our ministry teams this morning, I want to invite you to go ahead and come up. We're about to close. Before we do, I want to share one last thing with you. It's a a real life parable that I believe God just showed me this week and that fits in with the message that we're talking about. So in our living room, we have a skylight. It's obvious the skylights let, let the light in. And I was walking through the living room, and I got a glimpse. We've been talking about glimpses during this series when we just think we see something but don't know for sure. I thought I got a glimpse that the lights were on, the actual lights, not the, not the skylight. But I didn't look up. I didn't see it. I didn't know. And in our living room, we've got two switches And you know how those work, you know, one can be up and one can be down and it's on or vice versa. So you don't know what, you know, what you're looking at unless you see the light. But I looked after I got that glimpse and I saw the switch was down on the way I was walking out. So I was like, the light's off. You know, I didn't, I didn't see what I thought I saw. It's off. But then I looked at the light. And I, when I looked up, I saw, no, it was actually on. The other switch was flipped. This, even though it was off, looked like it was off, it was on. My perspective of the circumstance told me the light wasn't there. But it was there. We have to look at the light We have to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Does it mean we're not going to cry? Does it mean we're not going to suffer? Does it mean we're not going to walk through hell on this earth? No, that's what we're promised. But we're also promised the light, the truth will be in us and with us and never leave us or forsake us now or for all eternity. That's the light that we keep our focus on. He's good. He's good and He always does what He says He will do. Jesus Christ let His flesh die in faith that the Father would resurrect Him up again. He had to believe that. He had to believe He would and He did. And He did. And that's the Savior that we serve. Will you stand with me as we pray? Dearly Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your Son. I thank You for Your truth, Jesus Christ. I thank You that He has paid the price and all that we have to do is receive it received the gift that has been offered. Father, I pray if there is anyone in this room this morning that has never received you as their Lord and Savior, that today they would respond to the truth of the Holy Spirit, that they can hear, that they can feel and respond to him, Lord. That today they would be set free. Today they would be made alive again, or for the first time, alive in you. Forever and ever and ever. Give us your perspective, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. The ministry teams are going to be available. If you would like to agree with them in prayer over any need that you have, please come and pray with them. If you are accepting Jesus Christ this morning for the first time, please come and pray with them. Will you join us as we close in worship with Amanda?
1: storms that will move out the way, and trials will come to only test my faith, what I've learned about your favor, your mercy and your grace, as they go on forever, they're sufficient for today. tomorrow I won't be overwhelmed and the burdens that I carried I will choose to lay them down but I've learned about your favor your mercy and your grace as they go on forever they're sufficient for today
2: So, earlier last week, Amanda texted me and uh, sent me this song title, and she said, you know, I feel like God's been putting on this song, this song on my heart for the last couple of weeks, is it okay if I play it? And I was like, if God's been speaking to you, absolutely. Well, this message wasn't even done yet or developed yet, and I still didn't know where I was going, but it fit exactly. And as we were singing in the first service and now again uh, just a moment ago, it's just a reminder. God knows. He knows what's coming. He's not surprised. He has a plan. He brings it all together in something as simple as a message and a song because He loves you and He wants to speak to you and He wants you to hear His voice. And we can respond to it this moment and every moment. Let's close it with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We give you all glory and honor and praise this morning. Father, I thank you mostly for your word and your son, Jesus Christ, because you have given us your truth and you gave us your son to deliver us. And then you sent your Holy Spirit to reveal them both. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done. Father God, I pray a blessing on everyone in this congregation this morning. We pray blessing. I pray that their ears would be open to hear you. I pray, Lord, that they would take everything to you, whether it's in joy or weeping, Lord. You are there with us. Lord, I pray that we would be a testimony and a light to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The ministry teams will still be available. Uh, We'll still continue to have some music playing, but you are also welcome to be dismissed. God bless you and have a great week.